0: As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, uphold me according unto thy word that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Second Kings chapter 5. Some of you were here Wednesday night, got to hear Brother uh, Broyles preach, and man, that was a blessing. It was an encouragement to me, and it was, can I just tell you, it was convicting. Uh, I felt very convicted in seeing how that the Lord had laid such a burden on him for sinners. And I thought, man, Lord, we've got it so good here. God's been so good to us and so gracious to us, and, and we need to be about the Lord's business. Amen. And as the preacher was preaching and he read, he preached from 2 Kings chapter 5, which is where I'm going to preach this morning. I'm not, Don't worry, I'm not going to preach his message. But as he was preaching, the Lord put this thought on my heart, and I thought, you know what, Lord, I'll preach that sometime. And since Wednesday, it's the only thing the Lord would let me really look at for preaching this morning. And there may be a couple things that are repeated uh, because it's in the same passage from Wednesday night, but I just believe it's what the Lord wants us to hear today. There's something I want you to see at the very end of this story, uh, or this account, rather, in the book of Second Kings chapter five. So if you'll bear with me, I'm going to give you kind of a long introduction and then a real short message at the very end, which is what I think the Lord wants us to hear. Some of y'all are laughing because I said short message because y'all ain't right with God. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Maybe I'm the one that ain't right with God. I don't know. 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm not going to read the passage before we start like, like it's kind of the custom. Instead, we're just going to go verse by verse. Through these first 14 verses of 2 Kings 5, this is the account of a man by the name of Naaman, and Brother Benjamin preached uh, mainly on these first three verses on Wednesday night, and he talked about that, that young maid, and, and we'll mention her and go on, but it, it was this, uh, this passage is one that has, has been in my mind for years. I heard a message preached uh, along this similar thought at a teen camp when I was pretty young, probably 14 maybe. And after hearing that message, that thought never left me. I never saw this passage the same way again. Honestly, similar to the way that Brother Benjamin's message Wednesday night pointed out this young lady in in the first three verses, I'll probably never see that part the same way again. Amen. Uh, But the Lord has kind of spoken to me, and I don't believe I've ever preached on this thought. Uh, But in in, in this passage, Naaman is such an interesting uh, character for a very specific reason. And what makes him so special is what happens to him, uh, beginning with the fact that he is a leper. Let's look at verse number 1. We'll read the first four verses, and then we'll ask the Lord to bless this message. Verse number 1, the Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper." And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come to your house this morning. God, thank you, Lord, for giving us a place, this building where we can gather in your name and worship you in the spirit and in truth. And God, thank you, Lord, for, for the spirit moving that I've already felt today and the singing, God, for these young children as they cried out with a loud voice, God's not dead. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, that you're alive this morning. I'm thankful, God, that your word is alive this morning. And I pray, God, if you would, God, use me as a willing and unworthy vessel, God, to deliver these words to these people the way that you've delivered them to my heart. God, help me, God, Lord, to... To to give this truth the way that it needs to be given. Help me to say the things that need to be said. And if there be any pride, Lord, or anything in me, Lord, I pray, God, forgive me of that and remove it from me at this time and make of me, Lord, a vessel that is fit to be used. I love you, God. I'm unworthy and I need you and I thank you. I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. This begins first, I want you to see the providence of the maker in these first four verses. I think that it is interesting... Uh, And we talked about this last Sunday when we spoke about Demas, how that God doesn't put someone in the Bible by accident. Amen. It is not just someone who happens to be mentioned in one place in the book of 2 Kings. This is an account that God thought was important enough that it needed to be in His Word, and we needed to hear every word of it. Amen. And so as I look at these first four verses, and we know about Naaman, how that... He is a great man, a captain of the host of the king of Syria, and that they had taken captive uh, many Israeli people, and and they had taken them in as slaves and as servants. And we see here how that this young girl, this this little maid in verse 2, it said how that when she heard that Naaman was a leper and she was a maid there, uh, it said there, and she waited on Naaman's wife in verse 2, how that she said that, man, it, it would just be wonderful if Naaman was there in Samaria, if he was there. Uh, and he could speak to the, the prophet of God who could help him because he's a prophet of the real God, the living God, amen, who had power with God. And I just happen to believe that this is the providence of the Maker, our God, in the life of Naaman. Naaman could have had any servant in his house. And he could have had any woman or any man who could have been there. But it just so happened that God sent this young girl As as a child of God, a, a child of Israel, but not just that, but one who, as the preacher said Wednesday night, would care enough about him to share this truth with him. Not just anyone would have done that. This is the hand of God in Naaman's life. This is the hand in providence of God that Naaman was going to find himself in a place where he was going to need the kind of help that can only come from God. Amen. Leprosy was a death sentence. It was a slow and grueling death sentence. Amen? Uh, and, and it was awful. It would eventually come to a point where no one could stand to be around him. That's the place that it would go. And I, I don't want to be gross this morning, but when you, when you learn about leprosy and you read up on it in that time, how that people's bodies would literally rot away while they were living, that you could smell it. Amen? That it was a visceral and, 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 and offensive thing. Amen? It was awful. And this great captain, with all his servants, and all his money, and all his influence, and all his power, could not do one thing to help himself. Amen. There there were no doctors, there was no one in the world who could heal him of his leprosy, and the only reason that we're going to see Naaman set on a path toward healing is because of the providence of God in his life. Amen. Then we see the payment that was made. In verse number 5, we know that the servant, the young girl said that, and then one went and told Naaman, told him that that what the maid had said. So then the king of Syria, he gets word of what's been said. And in verse number 5, he said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, now when this letter is come to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. The king of Syria didn't have a clue. Amen. To him, everything works a specific way. And it shows in how he sets about trying to help Naaman with his gold and his silver and his gifts. Because that's all he's got. All he's got is the wealth of this world. They don't have anything else to offer Naaman. And they don't have anything else to offer the people of Israel. So he sends a a servant down to the king of Israel with a letter and with basically the equivalent of somewhere around $20,000. That's a hefty sum. He obviously thought a lot of Naaman. Can we agree? Amen. If he was going to send somewhere close to $20,000 in wealth to just try and get this king... To help Naaman, I guess he thought maybe that this man of God was one of the king of Israel's like one of his mages, you know, just some, some soothsayer, some magician, kind of like they had over in Egypt when you read the account of Moses when he went to Pharaoh and he called forth all the, the court magicians and this, oh, this, this holy man who, who's probably in the employ of the king and the king can order it to be done. And, and so I just what I really need to do is I need to get the approval of man, amen. And that'll help him. So he sent this money. And we see the payment that was made sent down to him just to get Naaman help. You know what this reminds me of? We're just talking about how there's nothing Naaman could do to help himself. And uh, Naaman could not do a single thing to heal himself. Nothing he could do. And so what he had to do was he went to the king. And the king said, well, I'll just buy it. It reminds me of that woman who had the issue of blood there in the New Testament. And it said that she had spent all she had trying to find anyone who could help her. Well, here's this king and he is throwing money, just trying to find help for Naaman. We see the paranoia of Israel's monarch in verse number 7. He gets the letter and he gets all this money. Amen. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes. Now, y'all, y'all know what that act of rending your clothes was in the culture of the children of Israel, right? It was a it was an act of outrage, of despair, an act of just just utter utter loss and, and confusion, and just oh God, that was the act of rending your clothes. Joshua and Caleb rent their clothes when the ten twelves convinced the children of Israel. The ten of the twelve spies convinced them not to go into the promised land. There at Kadesh Barnea, they rent their clothes in outrage. That oh God, how could they do this? And how could we turn from God? That's how this king reacts when he gets this letter from the king of Syria. Oh, that seems weird. Have a letter, $20,000 and 10 changes of clothes. Rips his clothes. He's just distraught, paranoid, terrified. And he says, Oh, am I God to kill and make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. You know what he thought? This is some kind of trick some kind of trick it's telling that nobody in leadership has a spiritual bone in their body nobody in leadership thinks wants to pray or to seek god's help we don't see the king go and find elisha and say would you consider helping this man this man is hurt no he all oh, this king he, he's coming to get me and yes can we just agree syria was an enemy to israel they've got they've got people from their kingdom in their service that they've captured and taken home and and they're going to war against them again in the next chapter things are going to be happening all the time but here comes this king and he says here's 20,000 gold so I can't fault the man for thinking these are my enemies but he should have at least for a second thought maybe this guy just needs help, I don't know but he's paranoid and we see the plan that was meted so Naaman came in verse 9 with I'm sorry let me me back up the prudence of God's man in verse 8 I want you to see that It was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard the king of Israel rent his clothes that he sent to the king saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Why are you losing your mind right now? Why why are you going crazy and freaking out? What you need to do is calm down. And he sent to the king saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. Here's what Elisha said. This is an opportunity For God to show our enemies that there's a prophet in Israel. That God's with us. Amen? Now some might say, well, why did he point out that there was a prophet? Shouldn't he have just said there's a God? Well, amen. But the presence of a prophet in Israel meant that God was in a time of helping Israel supernaturally. There were times when there was no true prophet in Israel And God was just letting them fend for themselves because of their sin. Amen. They would rebel against God and there was times God would just let them go and He would let judgment fall on them. And then there were times when He would send prophets to do great and mighty works to turn Israel back toward Him and and to show Israel that their God was moving on their behalf. And here's what Elisha said, let's show them that our God is real and that He's got got our back. Amen. Amen. And that God can do miraculous things. That was his prudence, his wisdom. And he knew, that. and thank goodness, what, a, what an image that cooler heads prevail. Here's this king. He's, getting all, he's about to get all the leaders together and start cons- figuring out, what do you all think about this letter? What, do you think this means something? Does that mean something? He's practically a conspiracy theorist right now. Think, I mean, he's just looking for something in every dot and every line. And here comes a lie. She says, calm down. Our God is about to do something. Haven't you, th- haven't you thought of that? Send him to me. Then we see the plan was meted. Naaman comes to Elisha in verse number 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, Go, wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. When something is meted, that word M-E-T-E, meet to meet something out is to disperse it Specifically, from above to below. The implication is almost the way that, that a master would feed his dogs. Amen? You're mating out what is necessary and what's needed to those who need it. Amen? And here comes Naaman, captain of the hosts of Syria, a right-hand man to the king of Syria, a, a man of honor, amen, that people knew his name. Amen. People knew who he was. And and he, and he comes rolling up to Elisha's house. And not only does he come up but it says he came with horses and with his chariot. You know what that means? He's got a he's got himself a posse. He's got a, a groupies, if you will, following him around everywhere he goes. He's just man, it's Naaman, the captain of the host of Syria. What a great man this Naaman. Man, the king paid 20,000 gold, if you will, $20,000 worth of gold and silver to the king of Israel, just to help this man. What a man. He comes to the door and he's standing there. I imagine he's arrayed in all of his armor or whatever attire he would generally wear. As a captain of the host of Syria, he may have have him a herald there with a flag and a trumpet. Hail, the the captain of the host of Syria. I don't know what the whole deal is, but I know this. It don't take horses and chariots for one man to go visit a preacher. Here he comes. Knocks at the door of Elisha. He's come. Says to the, at the stood at the door of the house of Elisha, and Elisha sent a messenger out. Didn't even come to the door. Amen. And he needed some instructions. Ah, you need healing. Okay, go. Uh, Elisha said, "Go to the river, the Jordan River, the brown, muddy one." Wash seven times, and when you do, you'll be clean. As you might expect, Naaman wasn't super pleased with that. In verse number 11, it said Naaman was wroth. That means he was angry. And not just angry, but mad enough to do something about it. Amen? I mean angry. And he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and far apart rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away, it says, in a rage. And we see that the prophet was mistrusted by Naaman. Naaman takes umbrage with the fact that this Israelite dog would stooped as low as to treat him as he was not worthy of his respect. He said, Are not the waters of these other rivers so much better than these nasty waters in all of Israel? May I not wash in them be clean? He said, What I got's better than what they've got. That's what he thought. He thought, I'm better than them. What I have is better than what they've got. I don't need what they've got. I wanted to see something crazy happen. He wanted to see fire fall from heaven like what happened to Elisha or the man of God come out and say some great thing and strike him on the head and blow the leprosy off of him like magic. That's what he wanted. But instead, a servant comes out. uh, Go to the river down there of Jordan. Wash seven times, you'll be clean. That just almost sounds dumb, doesn't it? I bathed yesterday. That's not going to help anything. What's he thinks going to happen? This is silly. And he was angry. So he was wroth. And he went away in a rage. I almost think he was preparing to go march on Israel right then. Go give that king a a what's how and take his money back. He was in a rage. But again, again we see the lesson. This ain't the message. But again we see that cooler heads prevail. In the next verse, verse number 13, his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. Isn't it nice how God in his providence has surrounded Naaman with the right people? Let me submit this to you. If it were not for the little maid and the servants around Naaman, he'd have died a leper. God put the right people in the right place to speak to him when his head was too hot and his brain was too dull. To rein him in. Amen. You better be glad God puts people in your life like that too. Who are there when you want to act like a fool and you want to fly off the handle and you want to go this way and you want to throw up your hands and rent your clothes to step in and say, hold on, let's think about this. Our God is a big God. And if this man had come out and told you to do some great, crazy, weird, you know, go up here and, and, and go get a 100 a hundred turtle doves and, and 10 sheep and, and 15 goats, and we're going to sacrifice them, and, and then we're going to do all this stuff, and we're going to journey to a far foreign land, and we're going to climb to the highest mountain, and we're going to wait for thunder to strike on this rock, and then we're going to pray. He just said, oh, yeah, let's do it. But because he just said, go down to the water and wash seven times, Nehemiah thought, it can't be that easy. It can't be that easy. But it is. It's that easy. We see the power of God was manifested in verse 14. "After After the plea of these servants to their master, the power of God is manifested when he went down, dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like under the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. After all the talking, the thinking, the wavering, Naaman finally went down to the water. And wouldn't you know it, once he had dipped, it said, according to the saying of the man of God, he was cleansed. Just as he said he would be. And now, even better than before. But what was it that made the difference in Naaman's life? Why was he cleansed? Can I submit to you that there was no supernatural quality about the waters of Jordan that cleansed Naaman? Otherwise, it'd be like the Fountain of Youth. People be go dipping in there. People be coming from all over the world to get down like the Pool of Siloam and waiting for the waters to stir, or doing whatever. But that one is just a river. It was just muddy water. That's it. There was no no well where God had blessed this well and the water was flowing out into the river. and Nothing like that. It's just water. It wasn't the majestic power of the water that healed Naaman. It was not some supernatural cure in that river that healed him. It was submission to the Creator. Naaman stood outside, and when that man of God sent the message and said, go down and dip seven times, he got mad. Who does that preacher think he is? Isn't that essentially what he said? Are not all the waters of Damascus better than these waters in Jordan? Who does he think he is talking to me? He didn't even come out. He sent a messenger. Who does this Israelite dog think he is? This preacher. Only when he was willing to submit, as the verse says, according to the saying of the man of God, was he able to be healed. And can I tell you, it wasn't because of Elisha that Naaman was healed. It was because of God. You know how God sent His Word to mankind? Through His people. God chose people God chose men to sit down and write these books, and God sent his people that he chose with his words to deliver. And when people would hear those words and submit, God would answer them. And that's exactly what happened here in the life of Naaman. It's much like what Samuel said there to, uh, to King Saul in 1 Samuel 15 where Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Can I submit to you that in 2 Kings chapter 5, there is no ram slain and sacrificed? There is no lamb, there is no goat, there are no turtle doves, there's nothing sacrificed, but there is obedience. Leprosy... In the Bible, and I'm closing on the end here, leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin. It is an image of how that sin corrupts and sin kills, the wages of sin is death. It's a picture of how that, that sin is the corruption of the spirit and the body. We know Galatians chapter 6 tells us that that which is sown of the flesh is flesh, that which is sown of the spirit, of the spirit That spirit, that, that if you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption that that's what leprosy does it corrupts your flesh and kills it slowly like necrosis it eats away at it and that it stinks and that it's 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 twisted and wrong and it's it's evil and it's bad and that's sin sins the same way leprosy like sin if you get around people with leprosy the more you're around them the more likely you are to get it amen just like sin. The more time you spend around people who are actively sinning, the more, the more likely you are to contract it, if you will, like a disease. It's a sin sickness. And leprosy is an image of that in the Bible. And we can see in Naaman that picture of leprosy, and so that picture of sin, and just how the only answer for Naaman to be healed of his leprosy was God, the only answer for us to be healed of our sin is also God. That I cannot cleanse myself of sin. And just as I cannot cleanse myself of sin in salvation, I cannot escape sin on my own. You know, the Bible says that a Christian who is saved can be entangled again in bondage. That's what Paul said in the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ had made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Bondage is something that a Christian can put themselves back in. And sin is a captive. You better believe it. It is sin, and it's, in its very nature is addictive. It has an addictive quality. In fact, many of the things in life that are addictive, I believe the reason, many of them are You say, well, you know, drugs, it's, it's a chemical addiction. Okay, well, what about gambling? You ever know anyone who had an addiction to gambling? Or heard of people? Well, there's no chemical quality in cards and in slot machines. You say, well, it's, it's in your mind. Yeah, that's sin. Sin's addictive. The more you do it, the more you want to. Y'all okay? The more you look at things you ought not look at, the more you want to. The more talk away you shouldn't talk, the more you want to. The more you go places you shouldn't go, do things you shouldn't do, the more your body will want to do it because sin is addictive. Pulls and claws, it sets in and it spreads like leprosy. I find oftentimes, especially in my younger years, working with teenagers, sometimes in teens and young adults and, and, and older adults, all of us, we get to places in our life sometime where we allow sin to come back into our lives and get its hooks in us. Coming to church on Sunday, coming to church on Wednesday, going to Sunday school, but you just kind of get around it a little too much and toy with it a little too much, and before you know it, you've got sin in your life. You haven't just made a mistake here or failed God there, but you have allowed active sin to come into your life, and you've contracted a disease is what you've done. Now, you think you're fine, you think you'll be all right, but the longer you go without treating it, the worse it's going to get. And before you know it, we're like Naaman. We're eat up with disease. And I've seen young people, and I've seen adults, I've seen them come to the altar and get down and pray. God, forgive me, Lord. I don't want to do that anymore. And then get up, go out there, last a day or two, go right back to the same sin. Have you? You ever seen that? You ever experienced that in your own life? I want to get right. I want to get clean of this sin. I want to do it, but I tried and it just didn't work. I tried it and it just didn't work. Well, there's something that I believe that the Bible is showing us in the account of Naaman, and I want to encourage you today, if you've got sin in your life, you've got something in your life you've struggled with, and something that's beaten you down and buried you down, and you've tried to come up here, and like Brother Matt preached at at our revival last uh, earlier this year, he talked about putting it and pouring out on the altar and all those things, that we need to just get it out, and you've come, and You tried to do that and you get up and you go back out and the devil comes back at you and you just didn't quite get it out. Well, let me encourage you this morning. Try it again. Try it again. And then if it don't work this time, try it again. And then if it don't work the next time, try it again. Because what we see about Naaman, one of the things we see about Naaman, let me give you three quick little things, is we see that the answer is plainer than we think. Naaman thought some crazy big thing was going to happen, that it was like lightning was going to strike down out of heaven and blow the sickness off of him, but it turned out it was a very simple thing he had to do. He had to go down to the water and dip seven times. Amen. And we know in the Bible that seven is the number of completion. You know what that means? He had to go and dip until it was done. Amen. He had to keep going until it was done. That the answer is plainer than we think it's going to be. So, say, Brother Paul... I've i tried to quit looking at those things and I've tried to quit going back to that and i tried to quit doing this and i tried to get right. Well, let me ask you this. Have you tried Psalm 119, 9 through 12? Psalm 119, 9 says this, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Look at verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. What is the psalmist saying in this passage from Psalm 119? You want to get right with God? You want to keep sin out? Get in the Word of God. And get the Word of God in you. Well, it can't be that simple. It's like when you go to the doctor. Like I did recently. Get your blood work done. It all comes back. It's all bad. Well, this is good, but these 15 things aren't great. Well, what do I need to do? Well, I can put you on this medicine, this medicine, this medicine, but it's going to be awful. Okay, well, what else can I do? Well, you can diet and exercise. Y'all ever heard them say that? What what would really help you is losing a third of your body weight. What would really help you is if you would jog or walk every day. And you know what we think? It can't be that easy. It ain't going to help. I tried that it don't work it ain't going to help. Well, I don't like vegetables. I don't like salad. What am I supposed to do? Just eat salad every day? Am I supposed to just, you know, am I supposed to just quit my job and exercise all the time? When am I going to have time? I've got kids and a job and, and all, when do I got when am I going to have time to go jogging and and we start thinking of excuses cuz in our minds we don't really believe it. We don't believe that if I'll get out and exercise and I'll eat my Brussels sprouts and maybe not so much of the pie that my sugar will go down and my cholesterol will go down. We just don't think it's true. If we did, if we really believed it, maybe we'd do it. Amen. I am kind of say, I'm preaching to myself right now. Amen. Ask my wife. But that's a fact. The doctor tells us, if you'll just do these things, it's the key to overcoming challenges in our physical health. So is a healthy diet of the Word of God, church attendance, and prayer, the necessary ingredients for good spiritual health it really is that simple I'm not telling you if you read your Bible you'll never face a trial you'll never face temptation but I am telling you this if you don't you'll fail every time I'm depressed I'm just sad all the time I just can't I can't get happy and nothing fulfills me or I keep sinning and I don't want to do that And I'm hurting my wife and I'm hurting my family I'm hurting my husband I'm hurting my children. I'm hurting my friends or my parents. What do I need to do? How can I be a better, how can I be a, a better husband, a better wife, a better student? Read your Bible. Actually do that. Don't think about doing it. And one dose on a Sunday morning is not going to get you week to week. I mean, hide thou his word in your heart that you might not sin against him. You know what'll happen when that sin creeps up? Those words you've been hiding in your heart will come up and say, Well, I know them, I know them. Yeah, sure, you've heard them. But there is a difference. And in thy law, do I meditate day and night? And I know what it says. There's a difference in, I know what the preacher said, and I'm walking with God. He said, take heed according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. How am I to cleanse my way? Go down to the river and dip seven times. I can't be that simple. Read your Bible every day and pray. And talk with God and walk with God and be faithful to God and go to church and and give God your heart and your life and, and be sincere. And guess what? If it don't work in a week, try again. The answer is plainer than we think. The answer is powerful to transform us. When Naaman went down and dipped in that water, you know what happened? He came up with skin and the Bible said flesh like a little child. He was changed. Naaman didn't get cleansed, he got changed. I mean, you know, it was was even a step further than just cleansing. He was a brand new, he was clean, like a brand new man. Amen. The power of God's Word and the power of God to transform us is so much better than you think it is. Amen. You say, well, I, I, I was right with God before and I did this and it... It, just, it was that, and it was that, it was that, and it was this, and it just wasn't all that great. Maybe you ought to try it again. Maybe this is the time when it's going to stick. You say, well, how can you know that? Let me submit this to you and we'll be done. The answer is perseverance to keep trying. What if Naaman had dipped in the river one time? Looked up. Pfft, this is so stupid. I'm just as leprous as I was before. What if he had dipped two times? What if he had dipped, listen, six times and said, This is silly. They're wrong. What difference does it make if it's seven or five or six or four? This is silly. I'm not going to do it. I quit. He would never have been cleansed. He would have died a leper. And I'm just not real confident in Naaman's commitment to God. He, got ma- he didn't just get disappointed. He got mad when Elisha said, go down to the river. I almost wonder if while he's going and dipping, he's looking back at his servants and they're saying, "Just two more times, just two more times. They've already had to walk him down there and talk him into it once. I wonder if they're, if he's not like, this is silly. Master, please, just, just two more times. Trust, if you'll just do it two more times, this maybe this will be the time that you'll come up clean and different and changed and transformed. then it will stick. Try it again. Try it again. Try it again. Well, it's never worked before. Why is it going to be any different this time? Try it again. Go to the altar one more time. Go to God's Word one more time. Bow down on your knees and submit yourself to God one more time because this might be seven for you. This might be the completion for you. This might be that time, Jace, when you go down and, and this thing in your heart or this thing in your mind you're battling, it. Just it's clear. Try it again. Well, I, I'm in my 30s. I'm in my 40s. I'm in my 50s. I'm in my 60s. And if I ain't got it figured out by now, I'll never get it figured out. Proverbs 24, 16 said, A just man falleth seven times, and riseth up again. Don't quit trying. I've tried and tried and tried. Try again. Try again. And if it don't work this time, try again. Get in your Bible. Get on the altar. Quit thinking about it and it's, oh, a soft decision. Maybe I'll go try it out. That's not going to get you to dip seven times. Or maybe I'll try it out or I'll try to do a little better. Naaman could have went home and said, you know what, I'm going to eat better and I'm going to exercise, and it would have profited him one bit. The only thing that was going to help him was submission to God. What's God calling for from you? What is the submission that God wants from you that is the one thing between cleansing and not. Now, I'm talking to the saved this morning. If you're lost, you can come down this morning, try him, he'll save you. If you're saved and you've allowed sin back into your heart and your life and you think, uh, there's no point in trying let me submit to you. Try it again. Don't stop trying till you come up clean. Dip again in the water of the Word of God. Kneel yourself down and submit. It was not sacrifice that cleansed, neighbor. it was submission. Let's all stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon. and We hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord.